All right, I see a couple guys up here wearing softball hats, and so that reminds us our we have a church softball team that um, your first game's tomorrow night, right? You guys want to come up and tell us where the game is, or <laughs> uh, you can just talk to me. Yeah. Okay. Well, we want to present you, Dave, with this official. CCPH Fishers of Men baseball. All right. It's going to have to be a lot bigger than that. Well, <laughs> we got the adjustable size for those of us with extraordinary noggins. Cool. Um, we play like every that. Monday night for 10 weeks up at Tribuca Hills High School. And uh, in two weeks, you see, we have two teams. There's so many guys. In two weeks, the two teams play each other. So it's going to be rather exciting. Who do we cheer for? Uh, me. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, on behalf of all the guys, we thank you for your support. All right. We're looking forward to having you come out and play a couple. Games. I'll I'll try. I'll co I'll coach third base. I'll say that sometime. All right. Thanks, guys. So tomorrow night they play six fifteen. There's a game at Tribuca. All right. So. Come on out and support the team. We'll try to get schedules around here somewhere so you can know when they're playing. And it's just a great time to have a good time. Uh, we'll invite the ushers to come forward now to receive the offering. And as they do, we'll go over some of the announcements for the week. Um, today, the College and Career Fellowship meets at 7 o'clock. So if you're from 18 to 30, you're invited to come on out for that. And uh, that's back in the fellowship hall, 7 p.m. The Wisdom Seekers have a tour of K-Wave planned. And so you listen to K-Wave, but you've never seen a radio studio, and that sounds interesting to you. There's information back in the foyer. Everyone's invited, but they need to sign up because I'm sure there's a limit as to how many people they can take. But the tour is on February 8th. That's a Thursday. And so... There's information back there. Sign up uh, to come. It's, there are limited spots, so talk to Joan, and she'll pump you up on it, but it's a neat opportunity, and so I know that many of you would enjoy that. We have a Valentine's potluck on February 17th. That's a Saturday at 6 p.m. Everyone's invited. The couples ministry is sponsoring it. More details will be forthcoming, but that Valentine's potluck is always a lot of fun, so get that on your calendar. Also on the 17th um, in the morning is a uh, worship seminar. If you're interested at all in worship leading, maybe you sing or you play an instrument, you enjoy worship, but you haven't really been doing much with it, there's an opportunity to get together from 9 to 12 and uh, receive some instruction and do some worship. Uh, George Sabalik, who's one of the most incredible guitar players I've ever seen and a great worship leader, too, is going to be putting on the, the seminar. And so all of you, if you're into music at all, put that on your calendars to, to come down on the 17th for a worship seminar. Um, men's campouts coming up in February. So guys get signed up for that February 23rd, 24th. Also, as long as the cold weather holds out. We're going to continue to collect blankets, jackets, hats, things like that for the homeless. And we've been able to, because of you bringing them in, be able to provide lots and lots of, of things to help homeless people out. And we'll continue to do that as, like I say, as long as the need is there. 
um, dropped them off in the conference room back in the back. This is the week for women's ministry on Tuesday night and again on Friday morning. Um, there's only childcare on the Friday morning when not on the Tuesday night because most of the people who come Tuesday night don't bring their little kids. So I guess husbands are able to babysit then. So if you have kids uh, that you need to have watched, come to the Friday morning one. Uh, you don't have to have been involved already. You can come at any time, ladies, and just enjoy this time. If you come a little early, they have food for you, and so um, avail yourself of that opportunity. And I think that's all the announcements I see here. So let's turn in our Bibles now to Philippians chapter 4. As we continue our study through the book of Philippians, this book that Paul wrote, it's a book about joy written by a guy in prison telling people how they can have joy. There's a kind of an irony to that, but if somebody who's in prison can be known for his joy, then what's our excuse? <laughs> and so it's just a lot of good stuff here. We're in the fourth chapter, the last chapter, and we went through the first three verses last week, and now this morning we're going to pick up with, well, actually, I have to get used to third service. This isn't morning anymore. It's afternoon about now. And we're going to be looking at verses 4 and 5. In some ways, I think this becomes close to the center of the book because Paul gets down to just making this command in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, or I'm going to keep saying, Rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Joy is something that I think as Christians sometimes We've struggled to define it. Most of us really know what it means to be happy. And yet, because the Bible commands us to do it, and so often we don't, easier than getting happy is to just redefine happiness so it describes something that's deep inside of us, but it just doesn't show. But the joy that Paul talks about is a joy that shows. It's a joy that's obvious to people. It's not a joy that you have to define so that people will understand what it is. It's the joy that everyone in this world is looking for, to be able to enjoy life, to be able to live a blessed life. When Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians, he says it's love, and then the very next word that he says is it's joy. So it's fruit. It's something that's supposed to show. But the truth is often this isn't what people see or think of first when they think of Christians, not, oh yeah, those people are so happy. If someone made a cartoon of what they think a group of Christians is, they probably wouldn't be laughing, probably wouldn't be smiling. They would be austere and serious because it's much easier to pretend like the Bible doesn't teach this than to actually practice it in our lives. And yet, the Bible tells us over in Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now here, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord. And so again, we can twist the scriptures. I hear preachers do this all the time and say, now he's not talking about happiness. He's, not, he's talking about joy. No, he's talking about happiness. That's what joy is. And then they go, it's rejoicing in the Lord, not in the circumstances. And I would say, no, that's wrong too. How do you do that? How do you rejoice just in who God is and not in what's happening? That's, so, uh, that's foreign to us. It doesn't make sense. 
And to illustrate that, look in the same context. Look at verse 10 of the same chapter, chapter 4. Paul said, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. He goes on to explain that the Philippian church had sent him a present. And he was writing this book partly to say, hey, thanks for the gift. I enjoyed it. But he says, when I got your present, I rejoiced in the Lord because of your present. So Paul wasn't saying, oh, my joy is some deep connection with God that if I explained it to you, I'd have to kill you. It's, he's going, no, man, I, hey, I got a present. I was happy, but I included God in that joy. I, I recognize that he is bringing blessings into my life. So it's not a joy that's some weird, obscure sort of thing. So often we act like it is. The truth is the joy of the Lord is your strength. If we're not happy, we're weak. If we don't have joy, we're never going to affect anyone else. No one will ever look at you and say, man, I wish I was as miserable as you are. You know, I've never seen anybody frown like you in years. What's your secret? The only way anyone is ever going to want to be influenced by us is if they see our joy. That's what the world is looking for, somebody who's having some happiness, someone who's living life, and it looks like, yeah, life works for you. And Paul is telling them, this is something that you need to be doing all the time. Well, how does that work? Some of it has to do with just opening your eyes. See, it's not independent of circumstances. It's looking at the circumstances that are here and realizing good things when they happen, appreciating reasons to rejoice that are around us. I, this week, I was gone for a few days, and you know, it was one of those things where, as we were packing, Ann said, you're not bringing your computer, are you? And so I pretended like, oh, no, of course, I wasn't going to bring my computer. And so I didn't have email for a few days. So getting home, I look, oh, man, hundreds of emails. And some of them were people saying, you know, the problems that they have and everything, and that's fine. And, but, you know, as I was looking through, I was, there were some really cool emails that I got. One of them in particular came from one of our missionaries, um, Julie Ichikawa, She's a missionary in Japan, and Julie's been having a rough time of it, kind of. She married a Japanese guy, and they started a church right away, and she had a baby, and that's been tough, and their house was infested, and it was, she's had a rough time. But Julie sent me a little email, and she goes, Dave, I just wanted you to know, a couple of people in your church from Pacific Hills sent me emails and said, you don't know me, but I just want you to know that we love you and we're praying for you. Now, Julie has been one of our missionaries for a long, long time. She came out of our church. But she said, Dave, that's never happened to me before. And it was exactly when I needed it. And I was so happy for Julie because I, I, I love Julie. And here she's halfway around the world. And you wish you could touch her in some way. And then to know that a couple people who I don't even know who they are, and many of you can pretend like you were the ones, but somebody... <laughs> Somebody saw the little slip, and it had, oh, our missionary, and they took a few minutes to send her a little email, and I was happy and just rejoicing and celebrating, thanking God for the people who did that because of Julie. But not only that, I was thinking about our church and just going, we are so blessed. 
that this is a place where and this is an opportunity for people to make a difference like that. And I just thought, wow, that's so awesome that some people, God has touched them and just given them a heart of compassion for someone that they don't know. It was cool. I had other emails that were there this week of answers of prayer. There was one kid I've never met, but he is someone who I've prayed for a lot because he started emailing me. He listens to me on the radio, and he started emailing me, and he was really torn because he's from another country. He's been over here studying, just finished his studies, and he was hoping to get legal and and stay here, but at the same time, he felt like he wanted to to go back to his country and, and share with his family God's love. And so he was really torn because he knew if he left while he's, while he's not legal, he'd have a hard time getting back. And so he had been kind of torn, and I had been praying for him. And I got an email, and he was so excited. He was just exclamation points all over the place and broken English. As he explained to me that he found a job that will sponsor him to, to help him to get a worker's visa, but the only stipulation is he needs to go back to his country for six months, and then they'll bring him back, and he'll have a job. So for six months, he gets to go and share the Lord with his family, which he really wanted to do, but then he gets to come back here and work as he wanted to do. And it was exciting to hear what God was doing for a guy I've never met, and I may never meet him until heaven, and yet the opportunity to talk to him, I'm like, I am so glad that you took this chance to tell me what happened because whatever else was going on in everybody else's life, it's like, wow, cool things were happening too. Great things that I was excited about. If we open our eyes, God is doing such good things all around us. We have back on the board in the back pictures that came to us this week from, um, you know, we did the shoebox outreach. And normally we would take them down to Pedrick Alice and hand them out to kids, and it was fun. But this year we decided to give the shoebox presents to the church in Pedrick Alice and Tijuana and let them give them out to other kids. And they ended up going to several different cities in Mexico and handing these presents out. And so they told us what a blessing it was for them to be able to do that. And, and we got pictures of little kids in villages you've never heard of who are getting their first Christmas present ever, the only Christmas present they would have that year. And looking at those presents that we wrapped and delivered and seeing these little kids touched, it's like, that was so exciting to me. Well, all around us, there are things like that, opportunities like that. Some of them are really simple. This morning during first service, I was talking to a, a dad and his little girl, and they, he was saying, you know, she was being kind of shy and hiding behind her dad, but he was saying, today we're going to a Laker game. He's taking his little girl to a Laker game. Can you imagine what that means to a little girl to go with her dad to a Laker game? Now, you look at old Lakers, you know, and, and you can be critical and negative, or you can go, oh, you know, Kobe, and, you know, I would take my little girl there and all, you know, but it's like, you know what? These are people having fun. That's a cool thing. Do you understand that God likes for us to have fun? He likes for us to take opportunities to enjoy ourselves. And so much of it is perspective. Someone after first service told me a story they heard about a father and son who went fishing. And they both went fishing together, but they didn't catch anything. Dad was frustrated. At the end of the day, they both wrote in their, in their journal. And the father wrote, we went fishing today. It was terrible. Didn't catch a thing. It was a miserable day. 
the little boy wrote in his journal, we went fishing today. I got to spend the whole day with my dad. It was the best day of my life. Well, it's the same fishing trip, but it's a perspective. Are we going to say, man, look what God is doing and enjoy it and appreciate it? Or are we going to be miserable because of things we see that haven't happened? Next week is the Super Bowl. I'm looking forward to it. I fully intend to enjoy the game. I'm not going to feel guilty about it. I'm thankful that the Super Bowl is in the afternoon, so I don't really have to choose between church and Super Bowl. <laughs> I'd have a hard time explaining to the church why we're shifting our service to the afternoon next Sunday. But, you know, this year, I wasn't that stoked about the Super Bowl. I didn't really care about most of the teams who were in the playoffs, and so... I, with interest, last week I Tebowed the games. I, I didn't even watch the first game. I was kind of hoping New Orleans would win because the city of New Orleans has been through so much over the last, you know, year or two. And and uh, so and Reggie Bush is there, so I was kind of hoping that they would win. But the Bears beat them. But I'm like, eh, whatever. Second game, I didn't care that much about which team won. And so I went fast forwarded through the game. But then I got to the end of the game. And the owner, as they presented the trophy to the Colts for, for winning their league and getting to the Super Bowl, they interviewed the owner of the Colts, and he said, before I say anything else, I want to say this. All glory goes to God for this win. And I'm like, millionaire owner saying that? And then their coach gets on there, and he goes, I just want to say that God gets all the glory, and we thank him for this. And I'm like, I am looking forward to the Super Bowl. <laughs> it's like, God's going to get the glory. Now, if you're a Bears fan, fine, you know? <laughs> and if the Bears are that hard up that they need to win a football game to experience some joy, fine. But I know that those Christian guys, they're going to be giving glory to the Lord no matter what. I'm sure there are Christians on the Bears. I don't want to hear about it. It's just... <laughs> But I'm going to enjoy the game. I'm not going to feel guilty about it. But I'm going to enjoy it with God. I'm just crazy enough to think maybe God enjoys football games sometimes. <laughs> and rejoicing in the Lord doesn't mean you only exclusively rejoice specifically about the Lord. It means you enjoy life and you include him in that joy. And Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always, in everything that happens. And he says, I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to keep saying it. Continue to rejoice. And that's a commandment from God. And I'll tell you something. To the extent to which Christians look miserable, it's the extent to which we're disobeying God in this, and we are absolutely ineffective. If the joy of the Lord is our strength, then the misery of Christians is our weakness. And it's something we need to do something about. There's a reason why there are a lot of people who aren't drawn to Jesus Christ. One reason is we don't look like we're having a very good time sometimes. Oh, and I'm not just going to pick on the church. People go, you look at the church and look at their faces and they look like some of the saddest people in the world. No, that's not true. Go to a bar at happy hour and you'll see something similar, <laughs> a similar thing. But what God wants us to do is to rejoice. Now, the next verse ties in with this in a very important way. And so I'm not just going to tell you, come on, you need to rejoice. Now watch the Super Bowl. There's more to it than that because he says, let your gentleness be known to all men. 
the Lord is at hand. Gentleness, be known to all men. How does that connect? Well, that word that's translated gentleness there, I may have to give you a little Greek lesson because gentleness isn't a great translation for it. It's okay. But the word is actually hard to translate. There isn't one English word that really does the job. For instance, I looked in some of the other versions. The King James Version says moderation instead of gentleness, as the New King James says. The New Living Translation says be considerate in all you do. The New American Standard says have a forbearing spirit. Be willing to put up with stuff. The Living Bible says be unselfish and considerate. The New Century Bible says be gentle and kind. Those are all bad translations. English can't render it very well, but here's what, the, here's what the word is. The word that's translated all these different ways is a word that's, well, the first half of the word is the preposition epi. And the word epi is, is a word that means um, to be on or touching, leaning against, supported by, we, it, it, it has a reference for touch. And so you can say, okay, if I'm leaning on this pulpit, I'm epi the pulpit. Now, when we say the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that's the thing. He touches you in a special way. We use the, like the word comes up in English words like epidermis, the part of the skin that you touch. When there's an earthquake, the epicenter is the center of where the earthquake touches the earth. So epi means to touch. Now, the other word, case. so the whole word is epi-case, but case is the same word iko or icon in Greek, and it's a word that means like. Not like, like, oh, I like that, but like, like, I'm like that. It's a word that, that indicates similarity, relationship, or appearance that's similar. Now, we use this word when we talk about an icon on a computer in particular. Those of you who are old enough to have used computers a long time ago, remember that on a computer, it used to be that to do anything, you would have to memorize a keystroke command or perhaps go to a menu and pick number one, two, three, four, or five. But today, everything is more visually based, and so we just get used to icons. When in a computer program you want to print, you point at the little icon of the printer and you click on it and it knows to go and print. Well, that's the same word that means like or similarity, an icon. It's not an exact equivalent, but there's a definite connection there. So epi case is a word that means on like. And now you see why, well, no wonder they have a hard time describing it. But understanding those two words and putting them together, let me try to render it in a way that might make sense to you. What he is saying, and the reason that sometimes they translate it gentleness or being nice or being decent or being human or whatever, really what the word is saying is find a connection, find a way to touch others in a place where you have similarities. It's sort of like find your similarities with people rather than emphasizing your differences with people. Now, there's a, there's a paraphrase of the Bible by Eugene Peterson called The Message, and I know there are some people who get riled up if you even mention it, because there are some verses that 
He doesn't do a great job of rendering. But as I read what he said of this verse, interestingly, as I was studying in the Greek and then I stumbled on the message, I realized, I think he has sort of nailed it better than anyone else. And here's his rendering of the verse. He says, make it as clear as you can to all you meet that you are on their side, working with them and not against them. And then he goes on to say, help them see that the master is about to arrive. He could show up at any minute. That's a great translation of those two verses, of that verse there, verse 15. So here's the thing. In the middle of saying, you need to rejoice, now Paul reminds them, you're connected with these people. Do you realize how similar you are to the people who are around you? Why does that matter? Because God left us here to make a difference in other people's lives, to connect with people in a way that there is a connection. And that connection is to show them the joy that God can give them, to rejoice in a way that it's contagious, to build bridges, not to build walls. Now, already I'm sure there are some of you who are going, I don't know about this, because you've always kind of been taught, perhaps, that the big thing is we've got to get out there and show the world that we are different. But you know what? I don't see the Bible teaching that. When the Bible says what should distinguish us, it's, well, like Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they would see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. They should be impressed with how much you care about them. Yes, that's a difference, but the difference that's there is, hey, we're the same as you are. It's just that God loves us. It's just that we've discovered something. See, every man, woman, and child out there in this world is very much like you. They're like you were, we like to say that, but they're also like you are. You understand that they all, no matter what religion they are, no matter where they live in the world, no matter what it is that they're striving for, they have the same hopes and dreams and everything that we do. There's something similar. It's just that we've met the one who can fulfill those hopes and dreams. And if they see the joy that God places in our lives, if they see that kind of a joyous perspective on life, and they go, you're like me, but... There's a difference. That's powerful. That's evangelism. That's making a difference. God didn't create us as a body so that we could just hang close together and stay away from all those evil people, form little Christian holy clubs everywhere we go, and, and wait for the rapture. He goes, you know what? If that was all we were doing, if all we're trying to do is survive as Christians, then I'd say, you know, let's just drink the Kool-Aid and go now. <laughs> yeah. We're not commanded to be isolated. We're commanded to infiltrate this world with similarity. If you don't believe that, and I don't blame you for not because you just don't hear people talking about it much, what did Jesus do? We studied it a few weeks ago in Philippians chapter 2 when it talked about Jesus being in the form of God, but he didn't see that as something to grasp or hang on to. He emptied himself and he became a man. And he humbled himself as a servant, even to the point of a death on the cross. Now I ask you, what did Jesus come here for? 
Did Jesus come here to show how different he is? He went to great lengths to come here and show us how similar he is. The areas, the points in which we connect, he became a person. And all of his emphasis in reaching out to others, he ultimately came to die. But in order to die, he had to be one of us. And everything Jesus did was designed to build bridges to connect with people, so much so that he spent almost his entire life, 30 years, growing up as a kid, working in construction, really not having any, quote, ministry, until just the last couple of years of his life. He built a bridge. Now, if I was God, and if I was going to come to earth, I would want to emphasize difference. So I would come as God in all his glory. I'd start looking around and going, oh, anybody not believe? Here, let me just send you floating up in the air. There, what do you think now? Oh, you don't like it? Poof, you're dead. Just a little pile of ashes there. Man, I could impress everyone with how different I am. But Jesus came to show how similar he was, to show that he was touching and connecting us it was so important that he will spend all of eternity as a man, fully God and fully man. Because if we don't see that he connects with us, we'll never get it. On the other hand, if as Christians we just pull together, we don't reach out, it's what happens is, first of all, one of the things that will happen is your joy is gone. Here's why. If you start to become isolationist and you don't want anything to do with anyone who's not a Christian, you have a pretty limited amount of people that you can hang out with, and they'll start driving you nuts. You start getting a bunch of Christians together all the time, as so often we try to do, and you start looking at them going, this is weird. So what do you do? You don't have anything in common with them a lot of times, and so you end up arguing about Calvinism and Arminianism or arguing about when the rapture is going to come and things like that. And life becomes so boring and negative. That's what happens with religion that leaves out this reaching out of relationship that God wants us to do. We lose all touch with who we were before we came to the Lord. We lose all touch with the world around us. And there's no one who's worse about being judgmental than Christians who are trying to be isolationists. You know, you talk about football, watching a football game, and they're like, oh, I think that's terrible, the pastor's promoting a football game. And, oh, you make a joke about that TV show. Well, you know, some of the things on that TV show are really bad and just no Christian should ever watch. In fact, no Christian should have a TV in their house at all. And if you listen to music, it should only be Christian music. And not just Christian music, it should only be this kind of Christian music because I know that band, I heard they did this, and, you know, she did that, and they did that. And so, really, it's just my band. You can listen to that. You can't go to movies, and you don't want to associate with the world. And man, if you have to work at a secular job, just look straight ahead. Don't pay any attention. Don't worry. You'll have some Christians that you can huddle with at break and at lunch. And you... It's no fun. And we lose our capacity for joy because we create Christianity into something that it was never designed to be. You ever wonder why they called Jesus the, the religious people never did connect with Jesus. And they accused him of being a friend of sinners. 
When was the last time you were accused of being a friend of sinners? If you have been, it was perhaps because you were doing things that you shouldn't have been doing. But how about living a godly life and yet being a friend of sinners? Building bridges and making connections. How about instead of people thinking that Christians are people who dress a certain way, act a certain way, their whole life revolves around the church, how about letting them know that Christians are people who get involved in their communities, they help with, with PTA, and they, and they do, you know, help coach youth sports, and they do different... What a difference that would make if people would see that. Two things happen. Number one, nobody will ever want to be a part of Christianity if they think it's a drag... And number two, it will be a drag. We will stop having fun when we live in the way that we're not designed to live, as isolationists instead of as spies and double agents, you know, those who are infiltrating the world. That's what we're here for. We're here to make a difference. And the difference isn't, you know, you're pretty weird. You must be a Christian. The difference should be, you're like me, but there's something different about you, and I can't put my finger on it. To me, the best thing, the, the best testimony of my witness would be if somebody didn't even know I was a Christian until they asked me why I'm so happy. I would think, okay, that's putting it in the right order. That's pretty cool. It's not beating people over the head. It's reaching out and building bridges and being different, but different in a good way, in a way that they can relate to and understand. If we will emphasize differences, we'll build walls. If we emphasize similarities, we'll build bridges. The amazing thing is, you have a lot more fun doing that too. You can enjoy life because you're not having somebody constantly, you know, looking over your shoulder and judging you because people out there aren't going to do that. They're watching to see if you enjoy life, that's all. Not like Christian sin sniffers who are just trying to see if you're doing something that they don't approve of. In a lot of ways, Christians are like manure. <laughs> you know, you, you spread them out and they can do some good, but you put them together in a big pile and they just make a big stink. <laughs> it's not to say we shouldn't associate with Christians. Of course we should. We get our strength from here, but if we just start hanging out a little too much, then we become isolationists, and next thing you know, we're judging each other. We're taking pride in the fact that we're not the way we used to be, and we're not making a difference, and we're not reaching out, and you'll know when it's happening. When you look at your life and go, I haven't laughed in quite a while. I haven't really been happy. I've been kind of miserable. Let me tell you, one of the first things to think about is, have you been sharing? <laughs> have you been involved in life at all? Have you been building any bridges? It just might be that you're cutting yourself off from life and therefore cutting yourself off from the reason you exist, the reason you live. Oh, I know this is a scary world. I know that the temptation is just to isolate ourselves and protect our kids and cut them off from everything that's not just the way we want it to be. But when we do that, we'll cut ourselves off from joy because we're denying who we are as human beings. Please don't misinterpret this to say, I want you to be less spiritual or I want you to leave God out of your life. No, include God in every area of your life. 
but live life in a way that people can see that you enjoy it. Don't let misery become your image among others. Why? As Paul said, Jesus is coming back really soon. The Lord is at hand. We can't afford it. We don't have the time to be huddled up playing some religious game. When there are people who are so much like us, we can't believe it, but we're afraid to talk to them. We don't have a way of contacting them. And when we do, we want to let them know how different we are. They need to know that we're connected to them in ways that would shock them. That we're afraid of some of the same things they're afraid of. That we struggle with things that they struggle with. We're all people. And just like Jesus built that bridge of the incarnation, we are to be incarnating ourselves and to continue to make connections. It's interesting that not only will then we be able to show people God's love, we'll have a lot more fun in the process. Everything that we do doesn't just have to be about Jesus, but everything that we do, he wants to be involved. He, it's okay with him if we enjoy what we enjoy. He'll be there. We don't sin. We don't do things that he forbids us from doing because we'll find out really quick that's no fun. But as we enjoy this world that he's put us in, and as we ask God to open our eyes to all of his blessings, God, let me see reasons for rejoicing this week. And what happens is we start to rejoice. People see us happy, and they start going, hmm, I wonder what's up with them. That was the way Jesus ministered to people, and that's the way he calls us to. I believe Jesus could come back today. If he came back right now, would we feel like, man, we weren't as happy as we should have been? There are some people that I wish I just had another chance to be human with them, to be normal with them, to have a conversation about something that's not about, you know, if you died tonight, do you know where your soul would be? But just to talk to them about the news or whatever, just to make a connection. Every one of us came to Jesus because someone made that connection for us. And if we're just being normal people, those connections will happen. Those opportunities will come up. And if we start to enjoy life, rejoicing in the Lord, including Him in our joy, it's surprising how many times that will build a bridge to another person and we can give them the great news that though we understand how they feel, we've been touched by someone who can do something about it who can help. And that's the way the gospel works. That's the way the Christian life works. To do anything other than that is really a shame. The good thing about being religious, at least you're not going to do a lot of damage, but you're going to be miserable. Who wants to live like that? Paul was a guy who, whenever he got a new prison guard, he was excited. Oh, good, they're going to handcuff me to another non-Christian. Some of you are handcuffed to non-Christians. You have to work next to them. And you're like, man, the best thing in the world would be to just work with Christians. I wish I could be in full-time ministry. No, you don't. Working with all Christians is not what it's cracked up to be. Trust me, I've done it for a lot of years. It can get really boring, and it can get really argumentative and divisive, and you just start going, man, I wish somebody would 
chain me to a non-Christian so I can sit here and have a normal conversation and, and, and maybe God can use me. And that's what happened with Paul. They had to keep ro rotating his guards because they kept being infected by, they couldn't understand a guy in chains who's laughing, who's having joy. Dude, what's your secret? Oh, glad you asked. Boy, we lost another guard. Great. Bring another guy in here. <laughs> That's the way life should be. That's what we're here for. I know sometimes you don't like it. It's a messy business. But truly, it's one of the keys to joy. It's, it's ironic, isn't it? That the key to spiritual joy, to rejoicing in the Lord, is being reconnected with all those things that you thought you needed to make the break from because we're called to build bridges and to make differences. And that's what God wants for us. That's his heart for us. To do anything less, we'll be miserable and we'll be weak because the joy of the Lord is truly our strength. Let's pray. Lord, how we thank you. You designed us, you know how we work, and we just feel so much better when we're having fun. When we're rejoicing, there's something deep down inside of us that knows we should be doing more of this. And yet we allow our own superstition and our own human tendency to create a righteousness that's of our own, our own religiosity that just chokes out the joy of the Lord. Lord, show us that all those people out there, whether halfway around the world or next door to us, working in the cubicle next to us, sitting in the classroom by, beside us, they're so much like us. Lord, help us to let them see a real Christian witness of someone who connects and, and enjoys. Someone who seems to see a, with an optimism that most other people don't see. Fill us, God, with that fruit of the Spirit that you have joy. And then allow us to make a difference for others as they see our good works, as they see that we really care, that they would then give glory to you. We thank you, Lord, for designing us in a way that when we're off track, we feel bad. When we're not doing it right, we can tell it's not right. But God, remind us, use our own misery as an idiot light in our lives to let us know that there's a connection that's broken and help us to connect with those for whom you die, those who are created in your image. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. If you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, I have great news for you. He loves you. He totally understands what you're going through. He doesn't look at you and shake his head with disgust. He loves you. And he wants to know you. He wants you to know he died for you. He became one of you so that you could have a chance at happiness. And if you'd like to enter into a relationship with him, there are men and women who will be down here in the front after we sing.